3: Hello, 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 and good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. My name is Alex Q, and welcome to the ninth episode of Miscast, Adapt or Dice. <laughs> <laughs> Adapt or Dice. All right, all right, Dad. All right, Dad. Adapt or Dice. I would. I did want to do it. Actually, I screwed that up, because I wanted to
1: In this one, Adopt or Dice. That's (laughs) Yeah, that would have been really good if you'd have done that first.
3: (laughs) 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 Yeah, if I'd done it on that one to start with. Anyway, this is our ninth episode, where each episode, using the expertise of my superstar co-hosts and special guest, we discuss tabletop topics that we hope will help improve your generalship, expertise and enjoyment of your gaming experience. It's the podcast that will talk nonsense and sense in equal measure, and it's the podcast that's just found out Paddington Bear is from Peru. Oh! Did you guys know this?
1: I think I did. Paddington I I Bear know. is from
3: Peru. Did you know this, Owen?
4: No, he came. He came from somewhere because he arrived on a train, didn't he? But I would have never have guessed it was Peru. He doesn't. So, for look... those, sorry, go on, Owen. I just think he doesn't look particularly Peruvian, not sort of... Meaning yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah, this is what I found. So for those not from the UK who have no idea what the hell we're talking about, um, in the UK, Paddington Bear is like this story about a bear that comes across from Peru and gets picked up by some family in a train station. But he's sort of morphed into like the weird Grim Reaper transporting bear person because of the queen. And so loads of craziness as people have started putting marmalade sandwiches on like railings and stuff. Do you guys remember seeing all this?
4: Mm -hmm. It sounds like a quintessentially British thing to do. Jesus. I have not heard about this. You (laughs) haven't heard this
3: at all? It's crazy. Loads of people started putting marmalade sandwiches on railings as like some sort of Egyptian style death offering to pass over to the afterlife. It's so random. But anyway, so I found out that he's from Peru but obviously, if you've seen them, he's like super British. So his accent's like, oh, hello, can you, come and, can you come and take me home, family? But if he's from Peru, his accents, which we all love doing, would be so Spanish. Like he'd be a Spanish Paddington Bear. He'd be like, "Ah, oh, si, si, family, senora, Paddington Bear. I love a marmalade.
1: Alex, he's a speaking bear.
4: Alex, are you, Alex, just for a second, I just want to pause where we are. Are you OK?
3: <laughs> I am fine. Thank you very much.
4: No, like really. I heard we haven't chatted for a little while and I'm, <laughs> I'm a little. I, don't know I know we've been trying to do this episode for a while, but I am genuinely worried. I mean, knowing what you do as a day job, are you like are you picked something you up? Think had
3: a, a ment- yeah, a mental breakdown. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Paddington, Bear. yeah, Paddington Bear sent me mental. So there you go.
1: And I recommend that you watch both Paddington? Um, one and Paddington 2, I can't remember what the actual names are, but the actual films, because they are fantastic. As a as like a, a father who had, like, a, whenever I'd see my, my son on the weekend, I'd take him to the movies, and quite often he'd pick terrible films. <laughs> but these two I genuinely enjoyed when I took my son. So, what, so what you're
4: saying, Darren, is that when you were in the cinema and you were perusing what from... <laughs> having some bear jumped out at you for some reason Is is that what you're saying
1: that isn't what I was saying Owen but I'm glad that's how you surmised it
3: when you were watching it and you were sat there and you were like this bear's from Peru did you think to yourself why isn't he got a Spanish accent
1: no Alex no I enjoy living in the moment if you sat there and thought about what the fuck was going on in any film (laughs) yeah. <laughs> no, I just like the
3: thought of him having a super like Mexican y Spanish accent. I think it'd be amazing.
1: It wouldn't appeal, would it? That's the trouble. Wouldn't make dollar. And that's all they Hold care on. about. Isn't the
4: it is the the national dish in Peru, I'm pretty sure is like gerbil or hamster is the <laughs> is the national dish. <laughs> that's so, true. maybe that's why Paddington left, because he was next. <laughs>
3: yeah this is the so this is the dark version of paddington bear uh yeah where he left before he got eaten so yeah there you go you got everyone loves the just just the craziness to the start of this so it's all good right enough of paddington bear and possibly being eaten in peru
1: or or this this podcast
4: (laughs) (laughs) we've now got zero subscribers after that actually
3: speaking of peru and south america Shout out to our Chilean listener. Our one Chilean listener.
1: And was there someone from Senegal as well?
3: There was someone from Senegal, yeah. But we were talking about Peru. But shout out to the Senegalese listener as well. But the Chilean listener, whoever you are, thanks. I hope you're enjoying this nonsense about bears and hamsters. Um, Right, let's do the intros because that's enough of that rubbish. Uh, You can hear the first of my co-hosts sexy serenades already. Uh, he hasn't screamed out pervert yet or football. <clears throat> he goes by at positive victim on Twitter. It's Darren Watson. Hi Darren.
1: Hello lovely. You right? I'm grand. Do you want to hear about how I thought I almost died on Thursday?
3: Please, always.
1: Now the last time I shared like a medical incident that was my that was waking up with a painful erection, wasn't it? And you actually told me to get that medically checked. So I'm reluctant to um, share this story in case you tell me something's really wrong with me. But I will do anyway because it's quite funny. On um, on Thursday, I've been quite ill recently, so I've had like I thought it was COVID. Obviously, it wasn't. Every sniffle's was COVID, isn't it? But in my head, it was COVID. I got checked. It wasn't COVID. I still was convinced it was COVID. So I've been out of action for about two weeks. <coughs> and I've not been sleeping, I've been very run down. Um, so Thursday evening, I was kind of, kind of feeling better, and monthly, we do a pretentious Wes Anderson film watching me, Joe, my friend Joe, and Alex. We're watching all Wes Anderson films in chronological order, and we've gotten up to "Fantastic Mr. Fox. So it was that evening. And pretentious Wes Anderson evening is basically us watching a film and then buying as many expensive snacks as we possibly can. And, like, one one time I wore a scarf indoors whilst we were watching. The other time Alex dressed Freddie up, our dog, in a shirt and a bow tie and we got Freddie to meet Joe at the door as the dog butler, that sort of thing, to sort of celebrate Wes Anderson <laughs> and all his bizarreness. Um, we bought this week, um, this week, we bought some crisps that cost £4.50. And they were mushroom flavoured. Oh,
3: posh crisps. Yeah, posh crisps.
1: It just, nice. it just makes us feel about 10% better than we did previously. Um, but there was a lot in this evening, there was a lot of bread, a lot of oil and balsamic vinegar and sourdough bread. And I basically ate my body weight in bread. Now, in the middle of the night, I woke up with a start. And have you ever slept on your arm before and you can't feel it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, quite, that's, that's happened to me several times. So I didn't panic. In fact, I've once woken up and both arms are completely numb. You <laughs> it, you, have you ever done that thing where you like shake your body violently? So you get one numb arm to hit the other numb arm? Like,
3: yeah, some people get like um, sleep paralysis where they wake up where they can't move anything, but they're awake. Oh.
1: Well, yeah. So, I was thinking to myself, "Oh, I'll rub. I'll get up. I'll rub my arm. Thirty seconds. There'll be some pins and needles, and it'll be all right." Yeah. Anyway, after a minute, I'm furiously rubbing my arm, and it's not coming back to life. And I'm thinking, "Fucking hell! I've slept so heavily because of this bread. <laughs> I've I've destroyed my arm. <laughs> you can't move your arms." Yeah, yeah. I, could, I still could. I was picking it up and dropping it, you know, and it still wasn't doing anything. So I'm still rubbing it. I'm rubbing it. Hold on, Dan. <coughs> Did you have a bread arm?
3: <laughs> oh my fucking god! Right, let's end it. Podcast is over. It's, it's done.
1: <laughs> I, Owen, I did have a bread arm. <laughs> yeah, about a minute and a half my arm trying to get it to work, um, and then I start to get an intense stomach cramp. I'm n- I'm naked because I sleep nude, and it's quite it's quite cold in the because I've got sleeping problems like you need to keep the temperature a bit low to to help you go to sleep so it's quite cold in the bedroom but then I get like a must have been a wave of adrenaline Alex you're a doctor that's it that's what it felt like like it started in my feet and it, it was like this heat that went throughout my entire body then I broke out into a sweat and then I started to hyperventilate I was going <sighs> and I assumed this was a panic attack because I was in my head I was thinking I've lost my fucking arm here and this mm. one counts up she woke up just as I semi collapsed by the door. She's going, What the fuck's going on? And I, I can't articulate to her that my arm isn't working. So was your mouth to- working as well? Was what?
3: Was your mouth working or was everything yeah. gone?
1: No, I was hyperventilating and like panicking. Oh. She's like, What the fuck's going on? She was touching me. I was clammy to the touch. And then she, I got up and I said, oh, I need to get to the bathroom. That's where the best. Because I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't breathe, and that's where the best air is in the flat because it's we always keep the windows open and it's just nice, nicely ventilated. So I got there, and then I felt incredibly like I don't know vulnerable. So I was like, "I'll give me a minute, Alex." When she got me to the bathroom, and then I basically lay on the bathroom floor for it must have been about fifteen minutes, just rubbing my arm, and eventually it started to to sort of come back. And then I was just huddled, thinking, "Oh my god, I've <laughs> almost died." But then,
3: but how, how are you rubbing your arm when the other arm didn't work? How are you no, rubbing? No, 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 Alex,
1: you've you misunderstood. Both arms have been fucked, but previously this was just the one arm. Oh, I see. Right. Previously, I had probably, some yeah.
3: weird image of you just like running, around <laughs> no arms working, rubbing yeah. up like a doorframe, like a bear or something.
1: <laughs> I told this friend. To, I told this story to my friend, and he was like. Are you sure you weren't trying to masturbate? Are you (laughs) just just trying to get your arm so it couldn't feel and it almost went wrong? And I was like, no, no, no. I genuinely thought I was going to die. Anyway, I woke up and I started to doze on the bathroom floor and I thought to myself, well, if I can sleep on the bathroom floor, I can probably sleep in my bed. So I got to bed, went straight to sleep. I woke up on Friday morning. And And your legs weren't working. (laughs) No, I had like, fuck me, I'm alive. (laughs) And I attacked the day. I had a great day Friday. Um, Oh,
3: good. That's a better ending than I thought it was going
1: to be. Oh, dear. Has anyone ever had? It was was traumatic. I was really scared.
3: So I thought you were going to say the punchline was going to be, when you were saying I was rubbing my arm furiously, the punchline was going to be it was actually Alex's arm. That you were just rubbing to make sure it was moving. So I thought that was going to be the first punchline, and There's then no I thought
1: punchlines to my story. These are things that actually happen.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought when you said, "Oh, you felt a wave, and if your feet felt hot," I thought you were going to say you pissed yourself.
1: So it was neither
3: of those punchlines. So
1: I would have yeah, said sleep- that, but no, that didn't happen.
3: Sleep paralysis is definitely a thing. I've had a housemate that uh, got that. You wake up and you can't move anything.
1: Oh, it was just bloody. Yeah, it was terrifying. Aside from that, yeah, very well. You ever hey, had it before? Is This the first time you've had it. No, I've slept on my arm loads before, and it the, the, it doesn't, you know, that's quite normal, isn't it? You wake up, like, can't feel yeah, your yeah, arms, yeah, yeah. Bed, and then you get pins and needles, or you, when you sit on your foot too long. Um, I, I, do you know what? I've got another. Oh no, we'll be here all fucking night if I tell you. <laughs> I'm gonna sit over in my bathroom. But I mean, I know,
3: stuff. I know Jack and Steve have already gone left this part, but we might lose loads oh, more I'll people. <laughs> well i'm glad you're alive though because yeah, that, that sounded close that did sound close yeah um, touch and go <laughs> moving on from your death experience uh how's onwards aos all good
1: yes yeah flying we we're up to 58 58 members we've got some new team members that came on board fully this month nathan watson uh the vice captain of scotland has joined us we've got Philip Kartev, the um most recent Russian master. He's exceptional. He's actually a university lecturer, so he's going to be very good at teaching people. Uh, Luke Morton has come on board, bless him, because he's got his fingers in all the pies. So I'm really pleased with that. He's doing a really good job. Um we've got um S- Simon Weekly obviously was um joining me before. And then mm-hmm. Stu, I've had a couple of conversations with Stu recently. I don't do you wanna mention it now, Stu, or you shall we wait?
3: We can we can we can yeah. we can get him in and mention it or we mention it now, I don't mind. Sure. Yeah.
1: Well I'm going to, so we had a, a meeting the other day and Stu's gonna come on board to run our media which I'm really, oh, really very excited nice. about, because I know fuck all about most things. What? You need you, Darren. <laughs> and, and, and Stu's exceptional, so I'm really excited about that. Sam Morgan also is... Um, oh, is not that now. douche.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. No, no, not at all. Like I've got some of my favourite content creators are now, Stu and um, Sam, are going to come on board. So I just feel like it's value town, absolute value town, which really which is really pleasing. So, yeah, we're, we're flying. We are flying. We're like this oh. little conglomerate of people dedicated to helping people get better um, and in the process, hopefully helping ourselves.
3: <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And if people want to find you, Darren, and Onwards AOS to get better, how do they find you?
1: Oh, bless you. Um, you can go to my Twitter, Positive Victim, um, and it's in my bio. Um, or you can just go to Patreon, put Patreon slash Onwards AOS. You should be able to find us that way as well. Beautiful. I, I don't ask Hinder's Alex fee- to shout this out, <laughs> by the way. Was, you know, he does it every episode. Which yeah, I, but I, I ask really for finders fees
3: afterwards, so it's fine. Yeah. Right, <clears throat> enough of our shameless stuff promotion. Shall we get our, uh, our sexy socked seductor in?
1: Oh, yes, please.
3: <clears throat> so, you can... <laughs> You can find him at, mmm, succulent on the gram.
1: Did you pre-laugh to that? Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, it kills me every time. He's at OJ180 on Twitter. It's the Owen Jackson, everybody. Yeah. Woo! Ooh. Woo! Boo! How
4: are you doing, Owen? Mmm. <clears throat> Uh, yes, very well, thank you. Um, just recovering from Darren's story. That was quite the journey. Thanks, Darren. Yeah,
3: it was it was a panicking journey, wasn't it? Yeah, it was good. Um, How's things with you? You've been tournamenting as always. You've been to what six tournaments since we last spoke?
4: Uh, yeah, five, and then there's one another one coming up soon. Yeah, the whole taking a back seat, slowing down isn't really working out.
3: <laughs> you know, last episode you said, I'm taking a back seat, and I think you've been to more, like yeah. more than you were going to.
4: Well, I was building up to LVO, which was pretty wild. Um, and was then... ours,
3: Our last episode was before you went, right? Or was it after you went? I've forgotten now. I think it was
4: before. It was yeah, before? Was, it was definitely before, yeah. Because what month is it? It's February, isn't it? It's the end, yep. of, February. end of February. What month is it? All these <laughs> tournaments are just blur. <laughs> my, my life is a bloody blur at the moment, I've got to say. Um, yeah, no, we, I think we recorded just before I went. Yeah, before LVO um, we
3: did because Phil was saying he was getting ready to go with you as well. So, yeah, yes. you were in Vegas.
4: Vegas, baby. Yeah, every morning I got up and listened to Elvis Presley with Dan Arnold in the hotel room. It was fantastic. Um, either that or The Gambler. Who's that by? Kenny Rogers. Basically, yeah. Um, yes. Uh, what a silly place Las Vegas is! Holy moly! Um, I did terribly after going with like you know visions of maybe being able to win. I did awfully, but um, I partied and it was great. Um, I was about so, to say, yeah.
3: didn't it? Didn't you like not get any sleep and was gambling and doing all of the partying?
4: Yeah.
1: Oh, and out of three hundred people, you had to play all the English, didn't you?
4: No, well, I played – no, what happened was I foolishly didn't put down the same club as uh, the other people that I went with. So I flew out with Dan Arnold, Mark Brooks, uh, and Mark Brooks from the Welsh team, and then um, Phil was out there. Out in America, you know, uh, obviously we had Phil Marshall on last time, and um, his – practice partner almost like his sort of the other part of the sort of abusive relationship is his friend richard richard wigmore and out in uh, america they they coined them um, big phil and little richard which was very cute um, so yeah they they were there um and yeah i didn't put down the same we didn't put down the same club and we thought oh, i have 300 and something people <laughs> that'll be fine and then yeah i drew mark round one with the hard counter oh tie, you wally like a there's yeah. a misplay
3: right there. We're not on that section yeah. yet.
4: <sighs> yeah, massive misplay. So anyway, I lost my first game, and then I drew Beast of Chaos against. I don't know if you know the Nuge, Matt. I think it's Matt Mangaien. His name is. He's like. Oh uh, yeah, very good player. Yeah, Beast, and that was on Silk Steel Nests, which was like eight objectives, an absolute nightmare for my. So um, yeah, anyway, I I I won two games in Las Vegas, but I. Hope, like, I think I won the hearts of many people in nightclubs and who were serving me drinks. So, uh, that was fine. Um, <laughs> no so, more. So, yeah. I, I got yeah. back to Las Vegas and then it was like, shit, I don't know anything about this new edition.
1: What, hang on though. And weren't you hugely up in the casino, like thousands of dollars at one point? I was. I got Did you win- remain thousands of dollars up?
4: No. <laughs> <laughs> the casino always wins. Oh, yeah. I got into craps. Have any of you ever played craps before?
1: no it's it sounds-
4: sevens yeah exactly rolling sevens it's it's it, i mean it's a dice game so um and you drink for free when you're uh gambling so um i played lot yeah i played lots of craps and i was i was up twelve hundred dollars on the first day um which was great uh but um so you
3: stopped like a sensible person and ended twelve hundred up
4: No, I put it all, most of it in the safe in my room and then systematically nibbled away at it over the course of the (laughs) next few days. Um, All on crap.
3: So did you try anything else?
4: uh, I played a bit of roulette with Joe Pagano on one night, the night before. Foolishly as well. We went for like a massive boozy bottomless brunch. That's a lot of bees, boozy bottomless brunch the day before the tournament. And I only ate one meal and that was mainly... Mimosas. Oh shit! <laughs> Hang on. <laughs>
3: we can't edit this out. We can No, edit I'm this leaving out. this in, Darren. <laughs> I, don't, I
0: don't know what happened
1: then. I must have <laughs> some sort of radio. Just
4: sorry, um, Darren. You
3: need, it, was, it was the mimosas. It induced some party music in yeah. Durant.
1: <laughs> like TV, when it, when it like comes out of stand mode, it always goes to like Radio 1 for some reason. And the volume's always really, really high up. And I can't figure out
4: it out. Anyway, apologies we, for my... We list. just invoked the Las Vegas party spirit. Anyway, <laughs> um, I'm not going to ramble on too much. But yeah, Las Vegas was great. Um, I did do some gambling. We went to the Mojave Desert. We went to the Hoover Dam. We went to Cirque du Soleil. We kind of had a big Las Vegas time. It was great. Thank and you. I bought lots of casino dice, which I now use for Warhammer, and I love them. Um, <clears throat> but then, yeah, then I got back, and then I just, yeah, I did uh, Bloodshed. I took a stupid list of Bloodshed, which was basically eight Fulminators and four Dragons. three long- I took long strikes, and I did Thunderbolt Volley.
0: What a world we live
3: in! After basically Um, saying they're ruining the game, you became everything you hate in the world, Owen.
4: Yeah, well, you know they're shit. I don't know what I was so angry about. (laughs) Um, They die really quickly when you don't play them well. Um, And then, then I did a a tournament at Rob's, War in the War of the Spider God, and then Sheffield Slaughter was this weekend. So, um, and I've been playing my Bone Reapers because the Boney Boys. The Bony Boys. Everyone thinks they're bad, and I actually think that they're good. Um, and I, yeah, I took them and had a great weekend with them. Is that just because you got to catapult off a load of gits? Yeah, I mean, shooting into thirty squig herd and every three up on thirty dice just slays a model feels pretty good. Um, yeah, so I did. Man- I, I took an anti-gits list and I did manage to play gits twice. Um, with my triple Mortec crawler. Oh, so
3: you were um. going for the meta, like it was, like you planned it for this
4: episode, Owen? Strangely, yeah, yeah that's just serendipity in action. I think there. I, I, yeah, it, I felt that it could perform um, in, you know, against some other armies as well. I wasn't sure about inter armor, so I had some stalkers, but I beat your as well, and also somehow managed to beat Grinning Blades where you can't target them outside of 12, which was probably the best win of the weekend, to be fair, seeing as I had 600 points of nothing, basically, into the army. So, um, yeah, but I love playing my OBR. I actually think that they're really good um, at the moment because um, they've got good Grand Strat, good Battle Tactics, good on the primary, They're pretty cheap now, and it's still really synergistic. There's loads of re-rolls still in that army. Um, loads of catapults on. as well, yeah. And loads of bloody catapults,
3: yeah. <laughs> loads of bloody catapults.
4: So, yeah, great. And in life in general, fine, yeah. Working good. Good and keeping happy. And, yeah, no dramas over here, mate.
3: Love um, to hear it. And yes. I hope lots more jazz and the rest of it as well.
4: But, yeah, the girl, Owen, the, girl I'm, the girl I'm dating doesn't like jazz. Bit oh, what? what? I know, I know. She's, what do you mean she doesn't like jazz? no. Nah. Uh, I know. Stewart's, <laughs> Stewart's
3: Stewart's no. <laughs> like no, it's done. You have to, not, you have not to,
4: even that. jazz funk or maybe like jazz, slightly jazz touched, sort of like house music. It's just it's all off the table. So, what do you listen to together? Um, she really likes um, Kate the music
3: Bush. of Sweet Sweet Love, Darren. She likes
1: Kate. She likes Kate Kate Bush.
4: She likes Kate Bush.
1: Yeah. oh oh. oh, oh, oh.
4: Yeah, that's <laughs> <Definitely>. beautiful. <laughs> have you been listening to my phone conversations? <laughs> <laughs> that's right,
3: Owen. We can, we can, we can bring around. It's fine, I believe. Okay. I yeah, believe. Uh, we too, man. The power of. Jazz well, I'm glad. To, I'm glad to hear it's all amazing. But enough of you, Owen, because Thanks. we've got to get our lovely guest in. Woo-hoo. You have heard some of his sexy upside down land serenades already. He's been described by one of our previous guests, or stated as, I have nothing but love for this man. <laughs> He's been described by a man with a name that rhymes with Baron as one of his favourite content creators of all time. He is hot on the YouTubes, as all the kids say it. He is a YouTube superstar content creator. You can find him at S. mccowan three because there's another two on there, on Twitter. He's the Iron Gitzman. Yeah. It's the Flaming Galat Upside Down Man himself. It's Stuart McCowan, everybody. Hi, Stu. Yeah. Hello.
2: I was actually uh, I was very surprised how good that Australian accent was. Actually, that's um that's right up there. I'll do not write. Really I'll never fucking stop. <laughs> don't
0: encourage
3: him. Don't encourage him. To hear. When you said "gala," I was like, "All right,
0: yeah, all right." <laughs>
3: thanks, yeah, thanks mate. Uh, so actually, I'm not going to do it the whole episode. Um, so Sam didn't like it. He thought I sounded more like Kiwi because of my sixty, my sixty accent. Um, but actually, I think it's great. So thanks, thanks very much. Um, How's things, Stu? How's uh, how's YouTube world? How's, how's everything in you're you're in Japan? You were telling telling me off air.
2: Yep. So I'm in I'm in Tokyo at the moment, but I did go down to a place called Kagoshima on the weekend for my. I go on like a birthday trip every year. So went down there and um yeah, there's a it's a basically a, a beachside city, but then on the other side of the beach is an island volcano um Mm. and it's just like this bizarrely brutal landscape where it's like a beautiful beach and then giant active volcano spewing ash all the time and i just had to go down and see it because of it's just such a bizarre image in my head and yeah it was was fantastic you can can drive around the volcano there's a road and um
3: the road is still there despite all this activity
2: yeah and um like there was a map that we saw of all the new parts of the island that are due to eruptions, and like a lot of it happened in like nineteen sixty so that's how recently it's uh, erupted yeah so. yeah yeah
3: as in and was it lava or no just ash
2: yeah lava and uh it it basically made a bridge in between the the lava island and the land, which is why you can um you can basically drive around it um you have to get a ferry from kagoshima, but then on the other side it's connected to the land now because of lava wow yeah. that's cool that's really cool
3: um and how's how's the youtubes how's the content creation for all the masses
2: we've been it's good we've been doing a lot of uh live videos lately so it, yeah if you go on my youtube it might seem like i haven't done anything for a while but you got to click the live tab because uh i've just been doing live shows um just trying to get more into the streaming kind of thing than pre-recorded stuff
3: yeah and if people want to find you on your YouTube, Stu, how do they find you?
2: Um, YouTube uses uh, tags now, actually. So you can just do youtube.com slash uh, at Iron Gutsman. That's Gutsman with like G-U-T-S instead of Gitsman. Although I have changed my name on, on Twitter. Unfortunately, I'm stuck with Gutsman on YouTube for
3: a while. So <laughs> You just need to do a second channel. And then that's what that's what all the kids are doing, right? You have two or three channels. And just changed to have it Iron Gitzman for that one instead.
1: You sound so cool then, Alex.
3: (laughs) Wait, I haven't even gone into TikTok yet. You you wait until I start talking about TikTok. Top ticking. Top ticking. (laughs) Right. Awesome to have you along, Stu, and the amazing Aussie accent, because it's great. But just before we get into meta changes, if you didn't get it from my amazing title... Um, Thanks again, as always, for all your questions. You sent loads of questions in. And thanks for the misplays, which are fantastic, as always. Um, I think it's still my favorite section. Um, And the ones you send in are are genuinely hilarious. So thank you very much for sending all those in. We do really enjoy them. So this episode is about meta changes and how do you adapt to those changes? So let's start with the most important subject regarding meta changes. And that's clocks. (laughs) Yeah,
1: we've done this. <laughs> what? Clocks?
3: No, it's it, we're not doing clocks. Yeah, we have done it, but I'm going to keep doing it because we've had feedback saying they like the recurring joke, so it's going to happen every episode. So did it's not clocks. Stu,
1: did you Did you not hear? Stu just go what?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably what everyone says when they hear it. Now they're like, "I'll oh, get on with it." So <clears throat> it's not clocks. It's we're going to start with meta. So. Um lots of the questions were asking about the meta and actually with lots of the questions that were sent in it feels very much like people define meta and what they mean by meta as very different things so Stu if I start with you very simply what what does meta mean to you in terms of sigma um and how do you kind of view it as a as a subject okay so
2: one thing that's really important in this game that's I think maybe a little bit underestimated is the influence of whatever format you happen to be playing in. Um so obviously on a, a basic level, two thousand points. Okay, that's really what we mean when we talk about competitive Age of Sigma. But then, yeah. you know, there's different formats. We have uh, you know, two round uh like two day single events with six games or five games, we have team events, and then you have some other games Um, like some other formats, like you know, LVO that had like the shadow around that kind of thing, and those formats, um, have I think just as big of an influence on the meta as you know what happened, whatever GHB you happen to be playing at the time. So, when we're talking about the meta, there's really, I think, three things you really have to consider which is a what format am I playing, and then B what GHB are we playing, and then C what happened to be the, the dominant armies at the time, um, because. Uh, if you're, for example, worried about playing against Lumineth, you know, like Sentinels, um, Boom. the influence of that might be might be stronger in singles, right, than it is in teams. Because in teams, yeah, you got eight eight players, only one of them can have lumineth. Whereas if you're at a tournament, if there's two hundred players, theoretically all of them could be playing lumineth. All right. <laughs> um and you know, if you're in if you're in a meta where everyone's playing the same army, which we might see with gits, um, you know, it becomes very different about what you should, what you should take. So definitely consider the format as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the meta to me is those three things. Yep.
3: Yeah. Perfect. Makes sense. And do you find that you are taking that into consideration? Are you chopping and changing between those things as you go? So if there's a team tournament coming up, you are spending, I don't know, a month, month and a half before that happens, kind of focusing on that sort of team meta or are you predominantly kind of going for that singles 2000 point and then the the factions within your area predominantly or is it just very flexible
2: um so for me i i mainly play on on tabletop simulator tts and um most of the tournaments i play in are team tournaments at the moment so at the moment i'm playing in three tournaments i'm playing in uh the russian team tournament and then release the beast which i run and um uh hammer which is a, a singles tournament mm. um and yeah my approach is like pretty different between the two formats um generally singles i'm not going to say i don't take it as seriously but my my attitude towards it is is a little more uh i don't know cavalier about it i'm kind of just i just kind of want to take something and see how it does um yeah whereas in in teams I'm uh, a little more uh, selfless about it. Like I'm happy to just take an army that's complete filth, or <laughs> that's just a copy pasta um, if it's good for the team. Whereas in singles, yeah. you're never going to get me to play a copy pasta under any situation at all.
3: Oh, uh, really? Because- Interesting. Okay. Cause so that's teams just not for you what I is like much doing. more like a much more serious almost. Is that fair to say?
2: Yeah, it's like I don't know. I think teams is like it's a little bit like working like a nine to five job. Sometimes I think just got to kind of <laughs> like go in, go in, get the job done. Go home, enjoy the money, you know? I mean there's no money in it, but <laughs> you don't have to take Murgle every time, Stu. <laughs> I know that, that was rough. Taking
4: taking Murgle to Worlds or taking flies. Did you take flies? You took some flies. Yep,
2: you? I took some flies. Yeah. Yeah, that must have some flies been and like, monsters. A, like a chore.
4: Yeah.
2: Well the thing like, is Owen, you just you just gotta put like your villain hat on for a little bit. I don't know if you guys have like a little bit of like a villain alter ego. I used to um we were still doing hammer times back in the day. I used to have an alter ego called Sword of Japan sixty nine. Um, and that used to be my my uh, Stuart evil alter ego. And anytime I would play Zinch,
4: I would use that alter ego name. because um, obviously the other times <laughs> I the- that, mate I did actually notice that this Sword of Japan thing turned up. Did yeah, you ever so-
1: while playing, that's that instantly <laughs> popped up into my head.
2: Yeah, so I was just trying to be ridiculous about it, obviously with the name, but um yeah, uh I think I think there's a there's an evil player in all of us that's happy to take complete filth if it is so required by the team. Yeah. I don't
3: know what you mean about alter egos
4: at all. <laughs> I've got, I've got no clue what you're talking about. Um
3: all yes. Right. So what what <laughs> So you did say some very interesting things before I ruined your flow with my ridiculousness. Um, So you mentioned meta being changed by GHBs and you mentioned what kind of what format and stuff, but you also mentioned you're on TTS a lot. So does your impression of what's good and what's not and what's popular, because you're playing on TTS, is quite global, right? So the meta is kind of everywhere. Is that fair to say if you're playing TTS? Oh, yeah. I want to I sing my
2: song here. So, TTS is way faster than real life in terms of the meta movement. Um, now, there are some, pro- there's probably some pockets of the UK that it is just as fast because people are playing as much. But because <coughs> people, play, people play so much on TTS, right? Um, and against a lot of people from different places um, that the meta just moves like ridiculously fast. So, when a Battle Tome comes out, if any leaks come out, there's usually like hundreds of games that happen. Like the day that the leak happens, um, okay. Well, probably yeah. not the day, probably not the day, but in, in the few days, you know, when when the leak cool. happens, um, and so we very quickly know what is broken if it if it comes out. So on Twitter, I am uh, I have known to be a little bit of an edge lord on Twitter in some ways, and um, <laughs> I've been ranting about squig Hoppers the day since the book came out, and the reason that I was doing that is because. You know, before I had made those comments on Twitter, I'd already played a lot of games with the army on TTS. So uh, I think because, you know, we don't have to like set up a game in terms of like traveling and, um, you know, contacting people and it's kind of less um, of an interrupt on people's daily lives. You, you can just get more games in on TTS uh, quickly. So, um, yeah, there is a, a tendency for the meta to move fast it can be too fast um i think because we play so many games there's there's maybe a tendency to like over adjust on
4: tts but yeah in general it's just a bit quicker there's also there's no production matter is there you don't have to buy and paint any models so you're just like you're just in working it out yes yes for sure that's a huge factor yeah
3: and so if you're playing all these games on tts do you are you finding that you mentioned you kind of get to a meta faster do you are you finding that the tabletop kind of meta distribution will eventually catch up with the tts one is it qu- is it as accurate as that or are they or they can are they quite separate
2: um yeah so i would say the, the thing about tabletop metas is you i think you get more of a sense of uh like regional differences um like there are some some big differences between what is strong in in certain countries uh yeah, that doesn't exist is as much on TTS. Sometimes you notice it like uh if you see like a team event and it's like a French team or something, sometimes you notice there's uh there's th- there is a difference in the type of list that people submit. It's a lot um, of one drops. A lot of one drops. And <laughs> then uh and then I think in the past France has uh used a lot of like MSU in a way that, that other countries haven't. Um and like to give an example of uh, armies being particularly strong in some countries and not others in Russia Skaven is like really popular and viewed as like one of the strongest armies in the game whereas i think in in other scenes it's it's not that it's viewed as bad but it's not it's definitely not like a top rank army um mm. in, in say the uk so yeah, yeah
3: yeah 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 and and one final question i guess for this sort of bit that we're talking about that i'm finding really interesting um do you find are you finding that an advantage then seeing all these different ones or is it a bit is it can it be quite confusing seeing all these different things and you know you don't really know what's good or not or does it all just funnel eventually to the really strong stuff
2: there there is a little bit of like a double edged sword in that like if you if you have such a large influence from like all different countries, it's kind of hard to develop something that's unique um because you're just playing against basically everything. Whereas if, you, if you're if you playing more in, in your local scene, you can kind of work on something that maybe some other countries haven't developed yet. And so mm-hmm. that when you go and play internationally, you, you have something that's actually unique. Whereas in TTS, it does feel a little bit like playing netlist versus each other sometimes, I would say.
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, Darren, I think I'm finding this conversation really interesting already, because as I said, lots of questions that got sent in The people's definitions of meta are very, very different. And Stu touched on a few things about GHB, for example. So the question I wanted to ask you was, have you found, since they're doing these new seasons, have you found kind of the meta, I guess, in the UK scene, or TTS, because you do a lot of TTS with your coaching, um, are you finding that the meta is changing more with GHBs, which Stu mentioned is something to take into consideration, or... For you, is it more kind of revolved around the new tome um, reveals, or is it both? Is it is it kind of half a dozen of one, six of the other?
1: I play a lot less slash none, no serious TTS. Um, so I can't really talk from that point of view. But th- it does feel a lot quicker than it's ever been, doesn't it? But I think that's to do with the the tomes are just coming out at a maddening pace, aren't they? Mm, and also, yeah, yeah. where the, the GHBs every six months... By the time you're settled on it, it's all changed, has not it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and some yeah. people I know of like only play for half of the year. You know, they've got family commitments, and so it must be absolutely mad for them when they you know they've they've got their tournament season, and it's it's all complete change if if it's across the, the three months on either side. Which I know yeah. one person is, um, yeah. but for me, yeah, it, it, it's never felt swifter.
3: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And do you, and do you think that swiftness is the to- is the tones? Then it's just the pace of the tones changing it all.
1: Tones, demand, popularity. Uh, there is there's. It feels like there's a lot more people within the scene now, and it feels like there's a lot more established and exceptional players within the scene. So not only are we seeing new tomes and factions, but we're seeing a lot more interpretations within those tomes. Mm. You know, all dumped at once. You know, when I guess the I guess the um I guess like the difference to that is like the the Techless hell hell on build is so fucking stupid that you're seeing that everywhere. But most other tomes have got several different builds Within them, haven't they? And yeah. different people that are very good at the game are all exploring those. So it's almost like you're overstimulated. You're bombarded with 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 stuff, and then it changes <laughs> so fucking quickly. And GW, have got a bit better. I mean, they're, they're not ideal, but they're a lot better with their FAQs now, aren't they? As well. So yeah. something will come out, and then that will change. Then there'll be a new. Someone will discover something, and then that will come out, and then yeah. that will change, and then. A new tone will come out, and then a new GHB. Oh, fuck me, I need a break. Yeah, yeah.
3: Because
1: yeah. <laughs> so about fifty-eight people's lists now, not just yeah, my yeah, own. yeah, yeah, oh. yeah absolutely. <laughs> and are
3: you finding most people are are tone based? I guess. The, I guess the crux of my question is how much of an influence the GHBs are having on the popularity of lists? Because that's really what we're talking about, isn't it? How how popular, how strong, different
1: lists people are taking.
3: It, is it very is the ghb having the most influence or no, do we think
1: no, it's gw's inability to address power creep like a new tome comes out it's fucking balked everyone gets that and then they nerf it and then a new tone comes out and it's fucking balked and then they miss the balked <laughs> the balked tome that it takes a couple of months for people to figure it out and then once it's figured out we've got a lot of knowledge sharing haven't we um, we've got a lot. We've never had so much access um, to the to the globe to people like Stuart, sort of sharing sharing ideas. So just everything's so rapid, um, and people have never been keener. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah <laughs> Look yeah, at absolutely. Owen. Fuck me. How would he? How, this is the keenest man alive. I thought Matt Goldsborough and Phil were keen, but I think Owen's rivaling them. I just so, like he, hanging out with my pals. What are you talking about? Yeah, <laughs>
4: <laughs>
1: you lo- you love a five o. Um, so I just think I just think yeah I just think it's all it's all growing, isn't it? It's all it's all growing, but it's 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 never been swifter.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Hard. And so for people kind of trying to assess how to, well, how to assess metas and what we're kind of focused on. We mentioned kind of the Techless Helon list. For you, is it kind of focusing down, if you're thinking about tournaments, or you're thinking about what lists to take, it's kind of focusing down on those mega strong lists that you see on TTS or you see doing well in tournaments? And actually that's the sort of, you should be focusing on these popular lists because there's been so much work going into them to start with.
1: (laughs) yeah yeah i like they're they're much easier to figure out as well, and a lot more minds are figuring them out a lot quicker as well, so you kind of you 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 can have a good idea early on when there's a change of what to expect, like we all expected to see hoppers doing well at events yeah yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> you know um we all like, I didn't I didn't actually expect to see Techless doing so well. Um I'm not particularly good at reading a tone and then imagining it until I've actually played it. Whereas there are mm. some other people that are very good at like reading like I got the seraphon tone when it first came out, I thought that was completely fine. I got the Zinch, not this tone, but the tone before. I thought that wasn't particularly strong and it was really fucking good. That one was
2: terrific. <laughs> Jeez.
1: It was, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> So I, you know, I, I when a tone first comes out, I have to sort of rely on the hive mind, um, yeah. and I have to play it myself before I sort of understand it. Whereas there are other people that can visualize it very, very well straight yeah, away. Yeah.
3: Um, so almost trying to tap into that hive mind might be useful for people in general. You know, just consuming information from, as you say, people like Stu or people, other people playing lots of these games, Phil yes playing and, all the games.
1: i would say when two minds. I think yes and no. I always, when a new tome comes out, I try to actually hide myself. Probably this is the, my ego speaking or my age, um, but I try to hide away from other people's opinions until I see the tome myself so I can formulate my own opinion. I don't want it, my mm-hmm. is too strong. I don't want it influenced by the hive mind. Because sometimes people are, the hive mind's wrong. You know, if you'd listened, if I'd have listened to the internet, they'd have told me Saint Basties were terrible. And they're fucking yep. great.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's fair <laughs> enough. Um and then do you like to see if it matches up with the hive mind later or
1: I know, I kinda of like to go against the hive mind, but again that's my ego speaking. I need to grow yeah. up a bit, don't I? I think it's <laughs> a really I think it's a really powerful resource yeah. that I'm not utilising because I'm too immature and egotistical um as much as I possibly could. So I think My worry is that my method before of like waiting, creating my own, like that was good enough to do well two years ago, even Mm. a year ago. But moving forwards, probably isn't like I think the the new breed, it feels like a new breed, Stuart, but maybe it's not to you because you've been involved in that world so far. But just listening to you speak before, like about how quick the TTS meta sort of evolves and how much you're involved in that, I was thinking, fucking hell, that's right. As soon as you get a leak, you're just on there, aren't you, you guys, grinding? Mm. Yeah, it sounded
3: <laughs> like it, didn't it? I mean, Stu, oh. I was going to ask you the same question about what Darren just said. He he, he's, he just mentioned that he likes to look at the tone before accessing yeah, that's the world's high slow. mind.
1: that's too you- slow. That all it feels that it's possibly too slow in the future. Whereas before, that was okay two, three years ago. I don't think yeah. it's the case. Or I may mean, not do- be the case anymore.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean Stu do you do you find you're looking at that you try and kind of like Darren said do you try and kind of hide away from it for a bit just kind of get formulate your own ideas or are you just straight in the deep end with the Americans and Aussies and Russians and French and everyone just kind of going at it.
2: So, so um I I think with an with an army in my head, there's basically just two ways to work at it. So the, the first of it is is kind of what Darren's doing, which is you you work at it like internally. So you kind of just like, you basically just like close the door and sit in the bathtub with the Battle Tome and just like kind of work out what's going on and build an army. Um, not necessarily um, considering how it's going to work against like a specific, you know, like an, a Lumineth Teclis in the meta, but it's more about making sure the parts of the army work with each other um the best way possible and, and there's like a, a good game plan that the army's gonna have. Mm-hmm. Um yep. and, and that's absolutely required when a battle battletone first comes out. And I would say like in, in the first month of when a battletone comes out, most of what I'm doing is that. Um because yep. you can't really evaluate an army um like against other armies if if you haven't made that army to be the best it is first. Mm-hmm. Um so that's the first step. Now, obviously, when when we're testing, you know, the, the builds we've made, we are going to play the meta armies, but I'm not necessarily looking for how it performs against those armies in, in specific. It's more just whether I can execute on the game plan I've tried to set up with the army, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, absolutely,
3: yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, and then after that, um, you can also, like, construct armies to be specific counters to other armies or sit in a certain place in the meta. Um And I think what Owen's done with more tech crawlers is something along those lines, right? Like you revisit an old battle tome because maybe there's some new battle tome that's come out that has like a specific weakness. In the case of Gitz, it's like it doesn't have a battle shock weakness, but it has a bravery weakness, um, which is something that more tech crawlers can exploit really well. Um, Mm. And so, yeah, that's the other kind of way of working with armies where you're trying to like establish a, a... an i guess a counter to something that's in the meta um and for mm. that you really need to go and look at what's in the meta
3: and what's being played yeah 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 that makes sense so you're sort of nailing your list archetype and then adjusting it afterwards that's that sounds really interesting to me
2: um yeah ultimately Owen. um ultimately like with the internal working thing is like that won't work if the army strength of if the strength of the battle tome is not that high in my yeah. opinion so like if you're working with an old battle tome like OBR, that's not like intrinsically powerful. You just try and just make like a like a decent OBR list. I don't think it will work that well. But if you're trying to build it against a specific meta, then I think that's going to work better for old battle tomes. Whereas something like you know the Gitz book that comes out that's like ridiculously strong on its own met on its own merits, you can kind of just work with it and totally ignore what's in the meta and probably do well with it.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. So does that mean you're assessing? So if you're, you're kind of doing the reverse then for older books, kind of weaker books, you're kind of, rather than starting with that, I'm going to make a list archetype, for want of a better word, work. For the kind of older books, the ones you kind of perceive as weaker, you're kind of seeing if you can counter the meta before making the list type work. Is that fair to say?
2: Yeah, so I think, I think with the, like the, the older books, if you just took like a mean average of the, the power strength of every yeah. unit, you know, it's just lower. Um, yeah, yeah. But that isn't to say that there aren't certain units in that book that are like above that average. Um, yeah, yeah, And as as a book ages, it tends to be that the distance between like the weakest and strongest unit in the book gets bigger, not smaller. Um, sometimes it's addressed, but generally it gets bigger. Um, and so that means for older books, um, like you know, for example, something like Flesh Eater Courts comes to mind. Like you, you're really looking at like specific units in that book that are still strong um that might be good against something that's in the current meta.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That makes perfect sense. Um Owen. Yo. Yo. Really Yo. interesting stuff already. Like I know I'm on this podcast, so I'm gonna say it, but like, wow, some of the stuff is super interesting. Um Yeah,
4: definitely. <clears throat>
3: the, bit I wanted, the bit I wanted to touch on with you, because obviously we take the piss out of you going to a million tournaments, which is very mm. funny. But also you must see a lot of different metas, a bit like the question I was asking Stu about the kind of TTS meta. And the question I want to ask you about is kind of expectation versus reality. And what I kind of mean by that is we, lots of us do all the kind of information consumption. We do a lot of what is going to be the meta. And when you get to the, these tournaments, how much of what you thought was going to happen happens versus actually is it completely different when you get there? Because as we know, lots of people, as you mentioned, have production meta. People have a meta where they really like one tome and they'll just play that tome forever, etc., etc. And so I wonder how much you notice when you get to a tournament, oh, actually, it doesn't quite match what you expected in the first place.
4: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think I always remember um, Darren mentioning when he won LGT, he teched for Nighthaunt and then there was hardly any Nighthaunt there. And sometimes you can build up a narrative, especially if you're playing... You know, a lot online, or you're playing a lot within your own smaller meta that you you think that the game state is as it is, and then you turn up and you kind of you've maybe spent a bit too much time. You could overthink things sometimes. Yeah, I think I was quite lucky at the weekend because, as 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 was mentioned, I took you know I took OBR with three crawlers to Sheffield Slaughter, and I thought you know there would be some gits there, and maybe if I could scrap through. You know some of the other unfavorable matchups, and get to day two, and then I'd be in a good spot because I would expect gets to be, you know, on your, you know, part of that three and three and O's sort of bracket going into the Sunday. Yeah. Um But yeah, I think sometimes you can really overthink it, and I think if you, much like what Stuart was saying about when you get a book, then you kind of you work out internally what's good. I think you can sometimes. Pause at that point and take that good thing and that idea because obviously, a lot of players well, no, a small amount of players move around armies a lot and, and are constantly trying to adapt and, and try out new ideas and, and, you know, can build and buy and paint models really fast and, and get them out there. But not a lot of people are in that situation. So, I mean, for most listeners, you know, you have your armies that you like and you like the play style and you know what's strong within those. And I think there's a lot of value in just. Taking that, and that was part of my idea for the weekend as well. I just wanted to play my Bone Reapers because it was a, a different, you know, experience to playing the Stormcast that I'd done for a while. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, um, yeah you 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 can't <laughs> you can't second guess what what gamers are going to do, and not everybody just wants to take the most the strongest thing. Um, so, within a field of sort of sixty players or one hundred players or something you're probably only going to hit those meta lists a couple of times. Um, mm. So I think taking something that you enjoy is really important. I mean, just stepping back a little bit, if I may, just thinking about of some of the wider points about the meta and stuff. Um, it's a bit like, you know, I was thinking about this episode um, as much as about being about, you know, changes in the structural, the, the, the game. And, and I think the game's changed a lot. I mean, talking about the, the 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 sword of Japan time for for Stuart that was Zeech Archeon at the back end of two um, you know two point and like the game design has changed so much that I think you can I think you can now design lists that will do well and work within the meta but you can kind of be a bit more you can be a bit more internally focused because we've moved from a game in two point where it was like pure primary to much more of a sort of, you write lists now to, to, to play five turns and get five battle tactics and get your grand strategy. So I think, you know, when the, the the sand shifts underneath your feet and, you know, the GHB does change, I go straight away to the missions and the tactics and the grand strategies that are available. And it's like now it's a bit more of a bean country kind of game in the sense that you need to lock in effectively... 28 points a game you know you need three five to three five point turns and then a grand strat at the end so if you're shooting for 28 points um every round obviously with the odd extra point here and there for certain missions i think adapting your list design and your strategy to the like obviously the other armies that you're kind of come against are important but um i think making your your army score those points um, and side noting away from that slightly, I think there's quite a lot of armies now which play this kind of like corner Warhammer or like non-interactive Warhammer. Um, you know, the Teclian castle and also like the Sylvaneth castle builds, which are doing well. You know, you can not really interact with your opponent for five turns and just play this kind of castle peekaboo kind of Warhammer.
1: Yeah, it's dull um, as fuck, isn't it?
4: It is dull <laughs> as fuck, but it's also, <laughs> it's very effective. Um, <laughs> so I think... Thinking about, I would say my thoughts on like how to adapt to the meta is to still look internally about how you're going to lock in all those points. And that, again, talking about OBR, that's why I think they're still a good book because they've got three good book tactics. They've got a reasonably achievable grand strategy, which isn't counter to how you kind of want to play the army anyway. Um, so I don't always think that you should be looking externally at what's good at the time because I think that if you lock in you know what your army's good at, and build things into your list. Like very simply, for example, uh, an example of this would be a, a battle tactic within um OBR is called is it Unrelenting Efficiency. Essentially, we've got a command ability where at the end of the movement phase, if you haven't moved a unit of Mortec Guard, you can and they've they've taken casualties. You can spend a Relentless Discipline point, which you always have. And you can bring back D3. And as long as you bring back one model to two units, you can score a battle tactic. So you can either mm. bait your opponent into damaging those units, or you could take Burning Head and damage your own units with a spell which can't be unbound. And so you can build all these little micro strategies into your list to then effectively you're like, I put this unit in, like like Daughters of Cain used to do. I take my two units of harpies, I get this battle tactic. So I think that you can, you know, you can write your lists to lock in all of these tactics rather than worrying about um, you know, how to deal with, with, with a Teklian and castle or how to deal with, you know, 10 Nurgle Knights pinning you in straight away. As long as you can get a desecrate battle tactic, turn one, or you can get a book tactic. Um, you can then work to unpick that army that's in front of you over the course of the five turns. I think, is that a succinct answer? I think that's how, that's where my brain goes to anyway. I'm constantly looking. And I think the, getting the pack for mission for tournaments is really important now because you have this flexibility between, do you go really heavily into having good book battle tactics Mm -hmm. because that straight away that does actually um, sort of knock out quite a few books. Like, you know, you and I love our stormcast don't we, um, Alex? And they haven't got very good book tactics. So that means that you have to lean more into the Galatian champions. like your Knight Zephyros or your teleporting Relictor or whatever. Um, And knowing what missions are in each tournament pack, that's what I look at. And then I know, all right, well, they're playing a lot of the new edition ones, which mean, you know, if I want to play an army that doesn't have really strong book tactics, then I'm going to have to go for a a Galician champion heavy um, list. And Mm. so, yeah, that's how my brain works on it. But again, Mm. Talking about armies and stuff and the meta, like there are a lot of players out there. Like I think of Matt Gouldsboro, my Welsh teammate, and like they're constantly on the edge and like adapting their strategy and what armies they take. I think over the course of the last few months, he's played like Nighthorn, Lumineth, Stormcast, Sylvaneth, constantly changing to try and counter the new things. So there's there's lots of ways to go about it, but I definitely think. Um, thinking internally about how you're going to score your 28 points is um, is big for me.
3: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And just one final question, Owen. For for you, then, are you finding that you are, as you mentioned, kind of focusing on those tomes that you think can achieve the stuff, and kind of not really thinking about the kind of strong meta list, i.e., you're not meta chasing per se. You're just going for the thing that you you think would be strong in that GHB.
4: Yeah, I mean, we've touched on it a couple of times, and it—it it was not the ba- <laughs> It's not an amazing list, but I just kind of pitched it at the right time. But the OBR list from the weekend basically had a bridge, had a foot in both camps. It had the the scoring ability that I felt was there inherently within the book because of the tactics that came from the white dwarf. But mm. also, it had an eye on the meta in terms of I could invest six hundred points into something that the three more tech crawlers, which I knew would do really well against. Not only Gits, but maybe, you know, the low bravery, um, Beasts of Chaos builds that might be out there and um, things like that. So, yeah, um, I think you have to be conscious of what's out there. Um, But at the same time, I just think we're not getting paid to do this yet. So, like, play what makes you happy as well. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I think it can be a bit of a road to ruin if you're feeling that you constantly need to stay on the cutting edge all the time um it's exhausting oh massively so especially with yeah, the pace it's of time game. consuming it's big time yeah. consuming for people yeah oh yeah um, i mean for some people i think it's it almost ends up being like a way of life <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, and yeah, some, yeah, yeah and now i'm at the point where you know i've played lots of tournaments i have a, you know loads of mates and I have a good time so i'm more interested in you know wanting to perform but also you know, having an army that's enjoyable. Like, there's no point taking something if you don't enjoy it. And I mean, a Phil talked about that. He's his first army was Lumineth, and He was like, it was really yeah, boring, yeah, yeah. treating people with Sentinels. So, you know, I wanted to, you know, smash people off with double activating Archeon instead. So.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he mentioned that, didn't he? He said he doesn't enjoy. For someone who plays so many games, why he didn't enjoy the thing he tried, so he just didn't use it. Yeah, um, that's kind of a nice segue, Darren, to what I was going to ask next, which was we had a lot of questions about meta chasing and is there a balance to be found between constantly trying to find the the new kind of hotness or you know I remember you always saying kind of don't chase the meta be the meta and
1: don't chase create yeah sorry sorry
3: I got the quote wrong don't chase create Um, and whether there's a balance there to be had uh, whether we think the strength is those those kind of players that can really do that adapting, constant adapting, or whether um, you can kind of almost wait for the meta to come to you? That
0: well,
1: yeah, I think various people have got different skills. Like, we've got list innovators, we've got... So they're the people that, you know, create the ideas, and then you've got other people that see all these various ideas and are very astute and... Are very good at realizing what's going to work, but more importantly what's going to work for them as well and there are there are people i I obviously give a lot of list advice out, and a lot of people are you know when they're they're sending lists to me that i've I've seen this list what do you think about it you know um and the, the there's nothing wrong with net listing there's nothing wrong with giving yourself the best chance winning an event you've paid good money you've not gone there to make other people happy mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. or at least that shouldn't be or that 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 a goal of yours should be to make yourself happy as well um so don't have any problem with netlisting the trouble with it if, you, if you're you not the author and you don't understand how to use it then that's not gonna by the time you figure it out the meta's moved <laughs> that's the trouble mm. with, with well a potential flaw with with netlisting and also if you if you if you aren't if you don't have a good grasp of yourself as a player it's super important i think to understand yourself you know there's no point i am um, quite often people p- p- people don't understand tend tend to not understand the difference between like a proactive player or a reactive player you know the, some some very basic concepts you know I'll, I'll ask in my one-to-ones okay describe your play style and people will often go one way or the other, oh, I'm a very reactive player. And then they'll describe like 10 instances where they're very proactive. And you think, hang on. Mm. <laughs> so if, if they don't understand themselves, then how could they understand the choices that they're, they're sort of mm-hmm. making? Um, so I think you start with yourself. That's, that's mm-hmm. where I would start. Um, but there's nothing wrong with netlisting, but it, it, it's, it's like a step behind, isn't it? as well and it's it's definitely going to be a step behind if we've got people that are, are playing 10 games in a week with you know with a list that's been with a with a tone that's been leaked you know and then there's other other people that have ha- got access to rules that that um that can play them well no, no, oh god we're skirting around the subject but there are there are there are people you know there are people that oh, fucking hell what do i want to say here without offending <laughs>
3: I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say that people have access to kind of rules and uh, get the ability to kind of um, even to, taking it to even taking it to what Stu was talking about, you know, some people have access to TTS on day one of rules being not even necessarily before rules are out. Yeah, but people insane. have access to stuff fast, don't they? And that's people
1: have access to it. There's a there's um an imbalance of access. Okay, we'll put it that way. That's yeah. a polite that's a polite way to put it. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. So quite often by the by the time you've got your net list and you figured it out the the meta's moved <laughs> and then then you're tempted to if you've not been su- as successful as you so you've seen all these other people be really successful with four iron blasters let's say so then you mm-hmm. try four iron blasters and then you're you're not as successful you know um you think oh well is it the list or is it me and then you're tempted to tweak things um well actually just keep going because <laughs> it's probably you <laughs> It might not necessarily be the list. Mm. Um, you can't win games off list strength alone. Um, I think so. There's the so there's like the people that's like the net listing approach. The, the the innovators, the 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 people that like try to find unique ideas. The reason they possibly, I feel uh, that works for me because people don't get to practice. Against three snake basties and croak before I throw them at them, mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? and and they're told that that's bad. So you can you can make plays that people don't realise or haven't seen before, um, and it's it's more enjoyable for me. But mm-hmm. that's me, you know. That's not that's not everyone. Um, it's harder and harder to be creative because yep. the direction Owen mentioned it earlier. I think Owen mentioned it like the games. Change the game design is very different. Like the I used to operate in the margins, the jank, you know. And it seems the game design is very much well. We don't like Darren's. We don't like them showing us stuff that's 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 dodgy. We just want it all to be very understandable and mm-hmm. on the wall scroll. There's there's where the value is. Dragons are good this season. Hoppers are going to be good this mm-hmm. season. This is going to be good. You know they don't mm-hmm. want. They don't want me using allies and and mercenaries and. <laughs> Although we have got yeah. regiments of renown coming out, Regi- yeah, but they'll be keyword locked and they'll be fucking boring, <laughs> won't they? That's the um, and that's where I, that's where I used to operate, and now it's getting harder to to operate in those in those spaces. And I think that's by design. That, mm. that, that's by design. And so, yeah. for
3: people listening, actually, you know, as part of that sometimes you, you could say, well, actually, if these, these kind of innovators are doing all this, that they can take a lot from that rather than playing their own thing. As, well, I guess what I'm trying to get at is for people listening, lots of the questions were around, you know, meta chasing versus not meta chasing and what people should should do because people want to try you and get better. Works
1: for you. Like, except I'm a meta chaser. Right. How can I maximize my meta chasing capabilities? And you have to, it's got to be, it's got to revolve around speed, okay? Like, if you are going to be a meta chaser, if you are going to wait for other people to work shit out and then take it, then you have to be in a position where you can get it quickly. So my advice would make a lot make a lot of friends in the community and fucking borrow models. Mm. <laughs> like, if you're not going to an event to win painting trophies, and I'm not, borrow, borrow models from your friends. And make sure if your friends ask you for models, you let them use them as well. That would be my first tip if you're going to be a meta chaser, or you're fucking rich. There's so many rich <laughs> people in this hobby that can just mm. buy an army and get it commission painted. Mm-hmm. It boggles my mind. Yeah. Um, so if you're in a position to do that, happy days. If you're not, make loads of friends uh, within the hobby and ask to borrow their fucking stuff. Otherwise, you're just not going to keep up. Or um, TTS, I, right? I or t- Oh no, well, I can't. I can't express like i'm i'm slowly getting better at tts but like i'm the advice i'm giving to everyone that i come across is get get on there you've got access to the absolute world then and you can play whatever jank you want or whatever new build there is and you can find out and identify yes it's not well yes and no like it's as good as you make it like i would say it's not as good as a, a an in a real life game but that's because I'm not particularly good at using it I imagine for some people that are really really proficient with using PCs and, and TTS it is as good as a, a real life game um, but I would definitely get involved in that and people have got these preconceptions that it's bad it's really fucking good like if you want to get better at Warhammer quicker get on TTS that, that would be my that would be mm-hmm. some advice there where I can't operate where I don't feel that I can operate in like the jank and the sidelines anymore i've got like a have i spoken to this i might have spoken to i forget what i speak about on it but have you i've got like a standard tournament structure or a standard set of rules when i approach a new tournament when i'm creating a new list for it that i follow I'm,
3: oh please go no i don't think you have, have spoken I,
1: about this have i have i spoken about this before no really? i don't think you
3: have i don't think so
1: well, Owen touched on it earlier. We get a massive amount of information before tournaments now, wrongly or rightly, but for a start, we'll know what missions we're playing most of the time. And we also know sometimes what order they're being played in, which is absolute madness. Like, get rid of that. But that really helps someone like me who likes to be prepared. So the moment I'm I, – if I choose – I can choose in the calendar three or four events that I can – physically go to each year I'm looking for the ones where I know the missions and I know the order and what I like to do is make sure that my whatever list I end on is absolutely nails for missions four and missions five because I'm aiming high I want to be going 4-1 or five zero. so it stands to reason that the the, la- the latter games are going to be harder than the earlier games okay that's what I'm going to I'm going to get through the first three games on confidence and thinking that I'm up against lower quality opposition, etc. Um, so I've got a positive mental attitude, right? So I concentrate on games four and five. And if my list isn't a green into that scenario four and green into scenario five, then the list is not good enough for the event. And to hammer that point home, if you look at how England did um, pairings at Worlds, they took into account... Um How good their list was against another list, but also how good our lists were into specific scenarios. Mm. Um, and it meant that we were able to get an average of 14 points in red matchups because they made sure if we were in a red matchup, we were in a green scenario for that particular mission. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. So like so that's the first step, so I, I want to make sure that my list is absolutely nails in the last two the last two missions. The next thing I like to consider is the state of the meta. You know, what are the lists or what are the factions that I'm most likely to be seeing in those games? Because the ideal scenario is that I get a green matchup scenario wise and a green matchup faction wise and list wise. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, that's where I want to be. I want my day two to be really fucking easy. Um, They often aren't, but um, this is where I want to be. So if I take I can give you a good example of how this worked. Um, or when it worked was the hans G t last year mm-hmm. i took it 's fair to say I took a fairly bizarre seraphon build, three snake basties and croak. but there was a lot of thought that went into this list <laughs> mm. so firstly i don 't try to identify the entire field i don 't know about you, but my brain can only hold so much information, and the more you try to cram stuff in, the more fucking leaks out doesn't it? So I just try to identify what are the four top factions or five top factions, depending on how. Um, much information I feel I can hold at the time. Um, who are they? And then I will try to tech into those. Owen was right. I completely messed up the LGT, but I still managed to win it happy days. Um, but I did think that there was going to be a lot of night night haunt there. And there was only two. And I was really mm. cross with myself. But I still think this is worthwhile doing because it still worked there. And it also worked at the Hans GT. Um, so at the Hans GT, I figured that Seraphon were going to be, really good so i was using seraphon so i wanted to be really good in the mirror i wanted to be really good against dragons because they could still move in the hero phase and shoot when they were Mm -hmm. fucking stupid um fire slayers were really new so i i didn't i had a one-to-one the other day with someone who mentioned that i i try to I, i can only get um excited about lists and understand them if i like them (laughs) and i kind of feel like that as well fire slayers are not particularly bothered about so even though i've read the new tome several times and i'd read the new tome then several times i still don't fucking understand them because it doesn't stay in (laughs) Mm -hmm. but i thought to myself well they don't like mortals and i can i can do a lot more so I should be okay and then legions of the first prince was doing really well at, at that time and specifically for the Hans GT Stephen follows was there and I think he had like an unbeaten record of 40 games in one mm-hmm. game <laughs> at the time so I was like fuck um so I try to make sure that my list is good into at least 75 percent of what I expect to see in the last in the last two games mm-hmm. and then I'll try and use tournament strategy to avoid the fourth so very briefly because I know I'm rambling on here legions of the first prince are a control build so they tend to win games but they don't win by great margins so my thinking at the hans gt was if i can win my first game very early i will avoid legions of the first prince throughout the entire event because they'll win but they'll win by slower margins so i won't i'm less likely to have to fight them does that make sense
0: yeah absolutely
1: So we can get rid of an entire faction that we expect to be doing well it depends on the tournament Uh, because some packs will just do random pairings between rounds but that wasn't the case here so if you if there if they do take into account the differential then you can you can employ this tactic and you can do the reverse as well if you're silvanef for example and you like to win just by you know by a couple of points then make sure that one of the one of the factions you expect to see win really big, and then you can avoid them for the rest of the event. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. Um, and then I was really good into the mirror because I've got three snake basties, and the thunder lizard builds at the time only had two. And obviously, I'm walking forwards; they're not. They can't kill me, and I can kill them. So I was comfortable. And croak is out casting and out unbinding the enemy slum, which is the reason I had slur, um croak in there. And then against dragons, I had pregame move snake basti so they couldn't double move and then shoot my croak off and then i was confident i could mortal wound them off and fire slayers i read the tome didn't fucking understand it but i thought well i do a load of mortal wounds that should do (laughs) and that's exactly (laughs) what happened at the um the hans gt i managed to avoid steven follows because the first game he got a small win whereas i got a massive win so i didn't have to worry about him for the entire tournament thank fuck for that because he'd have destroyed me Mm. legions of the first prince i was bad into because I've made my army worse into them. Seraphon are normally good at them because they've got these snake basties that do three damage shooting, but I didn't Mm -hmm. have any of those. So I was actually worse into him. So this is why I tried to use a bit of tournament strategy to avoid him.
0: Mm.
1: And then I could – and then in game four, I played Dragons – And it was brilliant. He told me the game beforehand that he'd move forward and shot Croak off with all his breaths. And I was like, okay, that's great. This guy's trying to get in my head. And then I alpha moved my snake pasties forward and he couldn't do that. And he was like, oh, I don't know what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking brilliant. I was Mm. so pleased because that's something I'd thought about like four or five weeks previously. Mm. Um, And in the last game I played Richard McCallie. I didn't give him a particularly clean game because I was fucking... I was so, I was really hit up about COVID. Um, I wish I'd have, I wish I'd because I was scatty as fuck. So Richie, I'm sorry I didn't give you the cleanest of games, but I did, it, it, they surprised me as well. They were much better than I gave them the credit for, but I did manage to mortal wound them in the end. I also won three out of the, the three first priorities, which helped me win that game there as well. But I was good in the scenario and even though I wasn't feeling the best and I hadn't slept and I was a bit anxious because it was the first tournament i tournament i've been to after covid i'd and it was a new tone that i didn't understand i'd given myself every opportunity to win because of the work that i did beforehand Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so this is the this is a long way of telling you that you can prepare when the meta changes that is a that is a tactic if you know like the, you know the pack you know what missions you're coming on and you've got a relatively you don't need to have a perfect understanding of the meta mm-hmm. but you, you can have like all those factors combined you can you can get success without knowing everything don't try and know everything just know enough and figure out how much you can take does that make sense i think i was rambling then <laughs> no
3: i think that makes perfect sense i think i think everything you're describing is is as I said, fascinating. Before listening to all of you talk about this, and um, I think what you're describing requires uh, a lot of knowledge about the game, which I think you do have. Even though you say sometimes I think you do yourself down, but I think you have a lot of knowledge about the game. I think that takes quite a lot of understanding and knowledge about things and how things work. Um, which well, this is, is where
1: I operate. This is yeah. where I, I don't have the. I don't have. I can't play TTS ten times when a tome first leaks. You know, I can't do that. But what I can do is put a fuck ton of work in, Mm. like when I'm swimming and when I'm doing the dishes and stuff like that. I can use my mind palace to to create. um, So that's how like an innovator can 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 take just use the information and, and take it to your advantage, and just be super prepared for the event. But really, just fucking think. If you think you can't do it, try. And the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. You might be hearing this and thinking, "Oh, that's super complicated. I can never do that." But I've been trying to do this for over twenty-five fucking years. Like, if you're mm. new into the hobby, start now, and then in twenty-five years, you'll be <laughs> twenty-five years. You'll be thinking yeah. like this.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 I know what you mean. Yeah, wonderful, perfect, Stew. Um, absolutely fascinating. All of this. Uh for you, I think, is it fair to say you're an innovator? We describe you as an innovator? Do you yeah, think that's fair? Yeah? So, as the innovator that you are, um, lots of our questions are about um, well, you co- you actually touched on it a, a little bit already, but lots of the questions, lots of people have their favourite tome or their favourite three or four tomes and as Darren just talked about, it's really nice to be prepared, but you know, sometimes these three or four tomes, as we mentioned, are the kind of lower power level tomes, as it were. And so, for these people, they're trying to make those things work. They're trying to make those things work and they want to do as well as they can. Um and they want to try and make them work. And and you mentioned that for the singles, sometimes you try different things. And so for these people, um, how do you kind of approach using tomes that are kind of lower power level into metas? Or do you not do that? Do you tend to go for the kind of stronger ones?
2: No, no, I definitely um I definitely play weaker armies. Um so last year, HB... I played something in the region of 200 games with 30 squeak hoppers in the old book. I did play with sixty for a while actually, so some of that is is sixty mm-hmm. squeak hoppers. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
2: yes I, I'm always using um, armies that are not as powerful um, and I think one of the reasons that I've um, kind of avoided netlists, um, especially with those armies that is that netlists um, are often made when an army is unbalanced. And because of that, well, the army's unbalanced. And so the list is also unbalanced. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, so, yep. A, a great example of this is, um, for example, uh, Marathi and Cron Incarnate. Mm-hmm. Um, that list, if it's uh, not externally strong, is absolutely terrible because it basically is, it's, it's just not functional as an army. Um, and so with these old books, um, because we, I guess, have a diminished power level in the context of the rest of the meta, um, you need to make sure that your army is is balanced. And what I mean by that is, okay, so first of all, it needs to have functional screens. This is always a, a big one that I'm telling people when they, when they build lists and lists advice. So what is a functional screen? Well, a screen that functions is something that, well, first of all, I can't just shoot off. So so 10 skinks, for example, is a terrible screen, okay? Because it, it just dies to anything, um, and it, it actually doesn't do anything in terms of damage, right? So you're just spending like 80 points to do nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas something like what Darren was running with um, the snake launcher basties that don't die, um, you know, because they have a two-up save, well, that's a great screen because your opponent can't necessarily get rid of it um, in order to get to this stuff at your back. Now, you, you are investing more into that, um to to make that screen um but it's going to reward you in terms of the game so an example of that with like an old book um would be if we go to corn we can look at like mighty skull crushes right Mm -hmm. which basically are awful aside from the fact that it's 15 wounds with a three up save (laughs) okay Mm -hmm. yeah yeah (laughs) but other than that they're like pretty awful um but that is an example of a highly functional screen like something that's going to protect your key pieces um and um yeah that so with, with old armies you really want to make sure that your army has like the basic fundamentals down whereas with newer books that are higher in terms of balance you can kind of like trim the fat on trim the fat off a little bit more if that makes sense. Yeah yeah anyway, that makes perfect
3: sense. Yeah yeah. So so you're um, sort of looking for those older ones to kind of yeah as you said literally hone down on just having the basic ability to do basic things as well as you can whereas the newer ones you might get away with not doing that so much
2: yeah and um i think that also extends to the realm of battle tactics like when i was talking about battle tactics that that was a really good point because um so like last season when i was playing these these gets this is a great example of this because gets last uh ghb had like the worst battle tactic situation of any army that's ever existed <laughs> Like mm-hmm. it, was yeah, just, yeah. it was just horrible like there's nothing that you could really do desecrate with there was nothing that you could really do barred through enemy lines with. So often turn one, um, you'd have to blow against the odds. And of course, there were some battle plans where you couldn't do that. Um, so um, what initially happened to me when I was playing the two units of 30 squig Hoppers is that, um, so I'd be playing on TTS and like in a team event or something. And then Luke Morton would pop in round five and said, Stuart, you've won the game. Because like, basically I'd be playing against Lumineth and I'd basically tabled my opponent and I had my entire army left on the board, and then I messaged him like, nah, Luke, I'm going to lose 20 because I just had no points. Like, <laughs> even, though I, even though I basically table my phone, my army was so terrible at battle tactics. Yeah. Basically, with the 60 hoppers, I get to round five and achieved one or two battle tactics um, mm. because it was just so terrible at them, because you'd go like, okay, we're going to do um, gaining momentum, and then like your hoppers would roll too low in the movement and you couldn't kill the unit that you wanted to kill. Mm-hmm. Uh, shit, like, shit like that used to happen, right? So um, what I did then is I adjusted the army. So I took 30 hoppers out and put some other units in. Um, so I remember I put the Mangler Squig in so I could do this one's mine with the general. Um, I took some more like throwaway units so I could do, you know, desecrate um, and like those sorts of battle tactics where like you kind of need to send a unit somewhere. Because mm-hmm. uh, the problem I always had is I could never like invest 30 hoppers just to stand around like a tree to get Desecrate, right? I couldn't just, like, Mm. send them in a corner because it's, like, 540 points, right? So you need something that's, like, throw away for that purpose. So I started to structure my army more around battle tactics. And Mm -hmm. although, you know, the army was weaker in terms of being able to just, like, kill my opponent, um, at at the end of the day in Age of Sigma, like, if if your army can't score points, um, it's just not functional. Um, And particularly in the current meta, you basically want to be in a situation where your opponent... Do- doesn't have to do anything for you to score your five battle tactics. So if, if you're sitting there and your game plan is, okay, um, I can get, uh, let's say, this one's mine turn one if my opponent like, throws something directly in front of me. That's not so great of a game plan because the more experienced opponent is just not going to do that. So mm-hmm. you want to be in a situation where you can score five battle tactics without your opponent having to make some specific play. And especially in the current GHB, it's really important that you have some sort of like turn one plan because the turn one battle tactics are much more difficult. Um, So, you know, like a simple thing would be to put a hero in there that has some sort of teleport so you can get cunning maneuver turn one. Um, That sort of simple thing, making a change in your list so you can get a turn one battle tactic is going to like instantly improve your capacity to win the game. Because, Mm -hmm. well, you have to score points to win. And, you know, even if you table your opponent, if you're not scoring points, you are, you are just going to lose the game, unfortunately.
4: Yeah.
3: Yes, that yeah, makes that, perfect sense.
4: Yeah, and I think I, I, that goes to how I designed the list for the weekend. Um, again, I kind of... I break down battle tactics into two camps now, Stu. So I like I like to go for what I call, like, passive or, like, non-engaging um, non, uh, battle tactics. And I, I put those... On my, I have my own score sheet, and I put those at the top, so I know. Like in the first two turns, I have like essentially three choices. Which, as you've said, cutting maneuver. Where if you've got, um, you know, a tunnel master uh, Galatian champion that maybe isn't like a synergistic piece that you don't want to just throw away, but you know, if you've got something that you can just throw out, great. And then desecrate. And then again in OBR, there's one called trample the defiant, which is essentially make a charge with a unit of um, Death Riders and then be in range of um, uh, um, uh, another A unit at the end of the turn. So either you don't kill the unit you charge or you kind of like tag. And with with Death Riders, they've got a six-inch pylon when they charge. So you can like quite happily like move around and tag. So I think list design has changed quite a bit over the last year to... um, to factor that in. So you're not really thinking about, you know, there are all these unit rules that you say, you know, screens and hammers and stuff like that. And maybe building in a a general that can do this one's mind a little bit easier is, is, is a good strategy. But if you've got any battle tactics in your book, uh, which don't require killing or engaging with your opponent, then like locking those in is like, um, is a massive step because once you get into the mid game, then, Eye for an eye and gaining momentum, and those other kill battle tactics are, um, you know, they're much more achievable because you can see the state of the game at that point. Um, Yeah, that's that's what I wanted to add.
3: Yeah, no, yeah, perfect. And with your, um, as you were talking about um, using the kind of honing those uh, kind of basic game fundamentals, Stu, you did. You talked a bit about you took something those hoppers straight away to your. To that was it a TTS tournament? Was that you were using that in?
2: Uh, yeah, the sixty I took to a yeah a five round team tournament. Yeah,
3: and yeah. so when you're doing that, are you finding that when the meta changes and the GHB changes and these new tomes coming out, are you finding it more of a use to do that kind of physically, as in you're you're going to go a user list and you're going to use something maybe slightly different from what you have before to kind of try it out and see if it works or are you finding that theoretically you can kind of brain it out as it were you don't need to kind of practice it in a tournament setting what what are you finding more useful
2: okay so i I think unfortunately i I have an, an answer that I guess is not that satisfying which it's just it just kind of depends on the book um, mm-hmm. so cool. sometimes you'll be in a situation with a book where um you you basically need to go through and do like a, a top to tail A to Z run through, which is basically what I did with that Git's book, which is mm-hmm. like just run everything and just push it to the absolute extremes, and then kind of elastic band back to you know somewhere that's that's reasonable in the middle. Um, that's mm-hmm. not always going to apply or necessarily be feasible. I don't think with Stormcast, for example, it's it's necessary or feasible to <laughs> play be it for years. The amount of war yeah.
3: scrolls in that book, <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. And a bunch of them are junk anyway. So, you know, yeah. there's, there's no need to do that with something like Stormcast. But, you know, if you're playing a small book, um, you know, something like Fire Slayers or even OBR, like playing everything um, is is actually pretty feasible, right? Like you, you could, um, you don't have to necessarily buy it, but you could like, you know, just proxy it or something um, and just, you know, play various versions of the army with all of the different units in there um, just so you can get, you know, a chance to look at all of them so you know br you know like Vok motion is terrible but you should just try him for like you know a game or two to to get an understanding of you know well where is he in the context of the rest of the army because you know maybe one day he gets a points reduction and so if you have that experience in your head of i played him on that wednesday um you know (laughs) yeah if he was just 30 points cheaper i could i could play him you know is maybe the conclusion you come to right and then maybe (laughs) later down the road that thirty points happens, and then you know that's that's really where the innovation comes from when the changes happen, right? Is where you've had some experience with like playing dank cold trogs in the past, and you're thinking like, oh, if only they were like fifty points cheaper, then I might play them, right? Um, and then when that happens, that's
4: when you can innovate. Yeah. Have, that's- you, been, have you been writing lists with Vok Mortin in as well, then Stuart? Is that what you're saying?
2: <laughs> I actually, I actually did back in 110 <laughs> points,
4: man. Two cards, two unbinds, cheeky shooting attack. I like it.
2: Yeah. you. Yeah. (laughs) He used to
4: be way too expensive,
2: right? Yeah, exactly. And he's just, I think
4: he was like 160 or 180. I think maybe 180 on release. And yeah, he's just got cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. But I don't know. Have you ever played, anyone ever played against Vok Morty and the Master of the Bone Tithe? Anyone? Anyone? I think I played you and you used him. Oh yeah, that's possibly right. <laughs> well, what would you describe me as, Darren? A pervert, wouldn't you? <laughs> a bloody pervert. Um,
3: but it yeah, sounds like stupid uh, subscribes to that sort of method. I mean, that. So you, you, know, lots. As I said, lots of the questions were around people saying, "Well, what do they do if they, if they, you know, their favourite ones are these kind of lower, lower strength books?" And actually, it sounds like you can get that experience anyway. So that when things do change around, you might be right in the right spot.
2: Yeah, so, like, with um with the new Gits book, for example, um like, one thing you want to be careful of with these new books that have come out that are, like, really strong is just playing, like, the strong build. Because if you play the strong build and it gets nerfed, you don't have anywhere to go to. So what you want to be looking for is, like, okay, just play some games with the strong build and then, you know, I know it feels good to play with, like, strong armies, but you just need to put it aside and then just go through and find some other options in the book that, okay, maybe this is, like the A tier unit. Like it's not the S tier unit, but if the S tier gets nerfed, then we can slot this in. And then when some nerfs happen, you're going to be able to just instantly switch to that and then go play it at at an event and you're going to be ahead of the meta, right? Because you've basically already had the experience and you know what needs to shift for
3: that unit to be good. Mm. Yeah. And And does that go the same for the kind of new GHB stuff as well? Do you find you're doing that with the new items or the new battalions or et cetera, et cetera? Or is it kind of more tome focused? Um, yeah, the, the new, the, the GHB one is interesting.
2: Um, so with this DHB, I was under the, uh, I was under the opinion that it wasn't going to be that impactful because basically Mm -hmm. the, the battalions are not, um, that useful. Um, but actually because the battalions are not that useful, it's been more impactful if that kind of makes sense, because we've gone back to, we've gone back to one and two drop land, um. And mm. so that's totally changed the way that you have to play now like in terms of battle tactics and stuff as well right because yeah. if you're not if you're not super low drop uh you really have to plan to be able to do um something other than desecrate because it's too easy for your opponents to go first and deny it so um the GHB yeah definitely changes the way that we have to build but it's also very hard to predict so you can't necessarily sit down now and be like I'm just going to play all the cavalry units in the game. For one day, there might be a cavalry GHB. I'm mm. not sure that's the most productive use of time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could you could be ahead of it, and you'd be laughing day one. Um, but it's just too hard to predict what's going to be in the next GHB, unfortunately. So, um, yeah. Now, with that said, um, there, are, there are some instances where you have a unit that's a specific type that's, like, already pretty good. So a good example of this would be um, the the Knight Vexilla with the uh, Meteoric Standard, right? That was already Mm. pretty good last GHB. Um, But then you look at it now and it's like, okay, well, we have this pretty good unit that now is going to score me battle tactics in an army like Stormcast, where the book battle tactics are like kind of a joke. Um, Mm. Like there's a couple that are all right. And then there's one which is like, Make a an, an enemy unit with bravery ten like lose models due to battle show, which is just like what what even what even is that? Yeah. Um, there's a few yeah. ones in there that are horrific. There's the cities. Um, of so having one
3: in there as well for like yeah. yes yes anyway.
2: have yes, and the grand strats are also terrible. So um, with stormcast having a unit like uh, the Vexel that's like pretty good on its own merits, but then also can score your battle tactics is like mega value. So. Yeah, you can see how that unit was pretty good last GHB, but then a GHB change comes in, and you can see how it's been like elevated, probably upper tier. Mm. Yeah,
3: yeah, absolutely fascinating. Um as time's going on, I think our next section we're we're going to do our, our classic uh, biggest mistakes and tips. But Owen, Darren, do you have, did you have anything you wanted to add or ask Stu at this point? Or uh, we've covered basically everything. It's been it's been amazing so far.
4: Uh i got one question. Of course. Uh, if there's a tournament next weekend, Stuart, what are you taking? Oh, good
2: question. <laughs> um, uh, Karazai and Vex Banners as well we'll be taking. Um, oh, that's, what that's I... the
3: best answer you could have said. That is the right answer. Who's okay, listed next, um...
1: Stuart?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good question, isn't it? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Which of the Evil Twin partnership is it? Um. I don't know. I'm I'm actually I'm I'm happy with saying that's a that's a dual effort for me and somebody else but um yeah that one's that one's um that one's tons of fun. Um like I it's not like it's not as strong I think as like you know the hoppers could be running. Um mm. but I there's just something about stormcast which is just heaps of fun to play. Like it just it just kind of feels like honest Warhammer and something. like I know I'm playing vex banners which is super hacky but like it still feels like I'm I'm playing warhammer like each game like i have to play properly and my opponent has to play properly to mm-hmm. beat me it just feels feels like kind of an honest home i guess because there's not too many like allegiance abilities um so you're just kind of like playing
4: fundamentals i really just enjoy it yeah i i definitely got that from playing rain of stars as well they tend to be quite small armies so you have to be quite even though they've got good saves you have to be quite precise with how you use all the pieces so yeah you're right you you do get a good sense of you know you having won the game not the list having won the game yeah Um, or you just roll three on all the d3 mortal wounds and (laughs) And yeah
2: sometimes sometimes you play like fire slayers with six foot heroes which they are under the impression can't get shot and then you just shoot five vex banners at them and they're all dead turn one and then none of the hearth guard have ward saves and then that's it (laughs) (laughs) sometimes that happens but most of the time you know you end up in a matchup like uh, you know, like Stonehorns or something where they'll have ward saves and the vex banners aren't gonna instantly win you the game, so you've got to like actually play the map like really yeah. well. So that's why it's enjoyable. Great answer.
3: I'm biased, but great answer. Um so that's a lovely uh, way to get on to our next bit uh, about mistakes and tips. Darren, if we start with your fine self uh biggest mistake you see with people trying to either chase meta or trying to adapt to meta or uh important tips for people to kind of improve their uh reaction to kind of things changing
1: uh worst mistake i think is like getting a list you know a net list using it and then it not working and then blaming the list and perhaps not examining your fault I think sometimes. So don't make drastic changes. If you are, if you are to change something, first of all, change your play, and then if it's not your play and it's the list, then fair play. If you know, so take responsibility for your your ineptitude.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's Um, one. I've got lots of ineptitudes. That's good for me. uh,
1: You know, but just be honest with yourself. Like it's tempting if you don't get the result that you wanted to blame the list. The trouble is, if you then blame the list, you've got a whole set of lessons that you've then got to to learn Um, and if you're not if you're not keep going with the list a good couple of times and make sure that the lessons that you've learned you're bringing with you into into those games because if you if you change it too drastically all that hard work you've done has been fucking wasted Um, so yeah so you know and then a top tip a top tip a top tip um, get on TTS and join Stuart and when leaks come out, play loads of fucking games with it. That sounds that's gonna be something I'm working towards. <laughs> I'm slowly I mean, getting better at TTS. But yeah. I mean, it I does sound funny. like a
3: font of knowledge from the amount I hear from people doing it. So I mean even yeah. Bloody Phil's gonna get on there, so he's gonna play every bloody game of Age of Sigmar. So there you oh, go. He's,
1: he's gonna complete Age of Sigmar isn't he, then. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly.
3: Right, Owen. Uh biggest mistake that you see with kind of meta I guess meta chasing is what are the kind of things we're talking about meta chasing um, and reaction yeah. top
4: tip it's kind of maybe touches on a few things that everyone's mentioned through the course and like there is a really you know the the pace of change is quite well it's very fast and sometimes you can get a bit whipped up with it and feel like you need to keep changing things to stay with it but uh, um I think You know, as I say, that that pace of change making you think that, like, the list that you're playing is dead. Like, I had a... Well, we all had a thing going from the old edition to the new edition, and there needed to be quite a few changes there in terms of, you know, the Galician champion thing. Um, But I think my... That would be my mistake, that people think, oh, like, dragons are shit now. Whereas, you know, lots of people have continued to take dragon lists. Like, Dan Arnold at the weekend took... I think it was eight... And was on top table playing for the win against Steve, um, you know, yeah. with with eight, two Castellans and a Draconis, which, mm-hmm. you know, so I think sometimes you can believe the hype a bit too much. And when things get, um, you know, maybe brought up to the correct points that they should have been on release or they get their wings clipped a little bit, you know, like taking that double move off the dragons, whilst... I don't, I don't think it's as good as it used to be. It's still a really good army. Um, and my tip is basically riffing off that, which is being a good general and knowing a list inside out is stronger than somebody just picking up a net list. Um, on the whole, it generally is. So, yeah, my tip would be don't get too uh, caught up in all these meta changes and just playing something that has inherent strength that that you know inside out will win you more games than chopping and changing all the time and and feeling that you need to chase.
3: Mm-hmm. Yep. Makes perfect sense. Stu, uh any mistakes or biggest mistakes you see and any tips you have for the listeners? Yep. Yeah,
2: I have one that that kind of uh, riles me up a little bit, but um uh giving your opponent turn one by default is a bad idea. Yes. Um Mm -hmm. do not always just take the second turn and try to double so i think unfortunately this stems from list design a little bit but just just as like a bit a bit of a nugget um like let's say you're playing a skaven and you have two units of 20 clan rats okay if you're playing a melee army and you take the first turn and you basically run six you, you run six that unit of 20 clan rats into the middle and then stick the other unit of 20 clan rats far enough away that your opponent can't get both units in the same turn right um, if you then can give your opponent the double into two and they're playing a melee army you will win almost every iteration of that game okay mm-hmm. so th- th- you can if you're playing turn one you can actually win the game by taking first and doing nothing if you position your units properly mm-hmm. okay so understanding the the different win conditions um, for taking first versus taking second is like really important. Um, I think interestingly games workshop, um, keeps buffing going second i think they might have some internal stats that going first is better and in general i think that going first is better um mm, interesting but okay the, but the, but the lesson is is just yeah understanding that going second and playing for the double um especially into like a more experienced player is just it's not a very reliable play to uh, way to play warhammer so just understand all the different iterations of of the first bat round, and, and you don't need to give away the first turn by default. Yeah.
3: Yeah, that's good. That's absolutely good. That's kind of a tip and a mistake. I like it. That's great. Um, right. To finish off, because time is coming on, and we don't want to... our uh, will listen to me for hours and hours listening to our voices. Uh, Darren, I know it's late in the UK, so you might have to do a... It is late, Alex,
1: and I'm in the front room because Alex is in the bedroom. I normally do this in the bedroom, and the chap above his bedroom is above the living room, and I can hear him stomping about. He's letting me know he's annoyed. (laughs) (laughs) So you're going to have to do this one with a whisper. I'm just—I'll just do it in a silly club style. I think it's the (laughs) misplace.
3: I think this. Uh, I think the silly club style is just as good as the whisper so yes thank uh, you if you thank couldn't you. understand Darren's club style it's our misplay section and as <laughs> i said uh you've set, again you've all sent in lots of great ones um much disappointment to everyone i haven't got uh
4: it's too i'm too excited this week uh, this, this month <laughs> so
3: owen do you want to kick us off with a misplay
4: yes i misplayed at bloodshed um because my opponent was really good, and I didn't really respect what Fire Slayers could do. Side note, Fire Slayers are really fucking good in this edition, unless you take vexilla banners, like Stuart said. If you haven't got Vexler banners or sharpshooters, ugh, that's a shit game of Warhammer. Well, it's a, <laughs> difficult, it's a difficult game of Warhammer. Oh, could um, you not
1: draw all of them off, OJ? <laughs>
4: <laughs> so what happened was I... Uh, I gave him first, and then much God, I did so many things, Stuart. I'm really bad at Warhammer. I did exactly what you <laughs> said about to do, which is I gave away first, and then I played to double him and close oh, the
3: gap. Oh, Owen, you should have listened to this podcast before you entered to the done. tournament. We should have made, Maybe if we'd
4: have recorded it when we meant to, I wouldn't have made this mistake. <laughs> Damn it. Um, so what happened was he got all his buff ranges up, and I couldn't touch his characters. So. I charged four dragons and six fulminators into a big screen of 30 volkites and thought, sweet, I'm just going to smoke these guys. Um, and he very craftily left a tiny little gap down the side of the volkites uh, between a piece of scenery, just enough to, to um, fit a 32 mil base. And I didn't realize that at the start of my combat phase, he could charge me with the flame keeper ability, I believe it is, or as a command ability. And essentially, he charged 15 Hearthguard Berserkers into the edge onto my four dragons. And then I swung with the Forminators, killed half the unit of Volkites who fought on death and killed some dudes. And then that left a massive gap. So he took all the casualties away from in front of the dragons. And then all of his Hearthguard Berserkers then piled in. And on my turn two, when it was my smash turn, I lost three dragons and three fulminators because I just Ooh. totally misplayed into both, you know, Ricky's really good. I didn't appreciate that what he could do. Cause I was trying to remember all the other shit he could do. Um, and, um, yeah, lost half my army on this big sort of smash double turn. Like I thought I was going to pin him in and win on the mission and like, you know, just basically put all my stuff in his face and say, grind through that. And, um, he did, much quicker than I thought. So, um, <laughs> yeah, maybe um, don't go in as blind as I did. That was my, mis- my, my big misplay. But I love playing Ricky because he's brilliant, so I didn't mind, and, and he played it, it. It was more actually, it's not so much a misplay, it's more a play because he played it amazing and I, um, and I didn't. Perfect. And that was it.
3: Perfect. Love it. Love it. Uh, Darren, misplay.
1: I um, played a fight night recently on my Patreon. <laughs> once once a week, one of the coaches will play a game and stream it for our patrons. <laughs> um, and I'd taken a... Um, I'd, we do a list challenge every month where I'll put up a list and then everyone has got to come up with the perfect counter, explain why it's the perfect counter, and then the winner gets to embarrass me uh, at fight night. Um, this is something that I do... Anyway, like it, whenever I create a list, I always write its count, Its counter it keeps you practicing list writing, and I, I really enjoy it, so I encourage my patrons to do it. But anyway, I, I created this seraphon list, and um, the misplay came, and I I learnt um I learnt a lesson when I first saw the new chameleon skink war scroll that you know the high, is it high Cheese chameleon skinks. Um, I thought, oh, these aren't as good as normal chameleons. And what I missed was that they've got a champion, and chameleon skinks I forgot hadn't got a champion. And you can bring chameleon skinks down wherever you like, and in Fangs of Sotek, you can you can teleport them about, etc. So the the play the misplay that I did was I put them down right in the corner so that I could shoot Bellacore my opponent, um, but I didn't put them down within 12 inches of a character. So when Bellicor survived on one bloody wound, the arsehole, even though I shot half an army into him, um, I quickly realized that if he charged, Bellicor charged into my chameleon skinks, I had no champion. So I couldn't unleash hell. I couldn't redeploy. I couldn't do any of this lovely stuff. Um, So there are two mistakes here. One is for 10 extra points, you can use highanchi's chameleon skinks who can do all that shit, and they wound on threes rather than fours, so in actual fact they pump out more damage as well so don't if you are going to use chameleon skinks or not those chaps, make sure you keep them within range of your your heroes so that you can use these um these abilities that are fantastic for them um, but the real mistake was not appreciating. The strength of a champion, which I feel really annoyed at again don't, you don't net use stuff and and then you know make sure you're using all the stuff like Stuart said, use all sorts of stuff and you'll find little bits about them that that you hadn't appreciated when you first read them um and then <laughs> my opponent actually decided to wander off with Bellacore and because it's like a sort of a training game, I was like, chap." You need to go charge those chameleon skinks and kill them because there's nothing they can do about it because I've been a tit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which he probably did and killed them all, when I was livid. <laughs> but yeah, Perfect. yeah, very stupid of me. And uh, luckily, I had an audience. <laughs> it's always better when
3: there's an audience. There's always, it's always better when there's hundreds of people watching. It's all good.
1: Well, wow, about 10, <laughs>
3: hundreds, hundreds, but yeah, yeah. Perfect. Stew. Misplay. Yeah, so
2: before the podcast, I was saying that I didn't have any, but I, I just hadn't thought of a specific unit that I've been testing recently that I have made so many mistakes with that it's it's a little bit embarrassing. Um, but this is this is Loon Smasher Fanatics. Now, um, they're quite awkward to play with. So basically, there's two ways they get out. The first of it is at the start of the charge phase. They get out wholly within three of the, the unit that they hit it in and more than three from enemy units. And the other way is once the unit's destroyed, they get out wholly within six of the, the last slain model, right? Okay. So uh, the first mistake that I made against them was very simple against ogres and just very stupid, which is I got them out, and then my opponent charged them, and mortal wounded them off. All right. <laughs> that was the first mistake <laughs> yeah. uh, with impact hits, and that's one you don't do again. Now, the second one was a little bit... Uh, A little bit more, um, you know, I guess less stupid than the first one. Um, And that was uh, basically I was playing against like a Cities player and he had some Drake spawn knights that were trying to like tag my shooters. So I got the fanatics out as like a prohibitive measure. And um, well, I forgot the Drake spawn knights have two inch reach. So basically what he did is he charged the shooters so that the fanatics were outside of three. So I couldn't fight at the start of the combat phase. And then he piled in and then killed all my fanatics with the two-inch uh, weapon before they get to hit. So that was bad. And then the worst mistake that I've made with a unit of 10 instead of a unit of five is I had them hidden in a, in a unit of 60 shooters. And one of my turn one plays with gets. is I always teleport the 60 shooters and like spread them around the board so they basically cover the entire perimeter of the board and my mm-hmm. opponent can't really leave the deployment zone. That's like the turn one play. So mm-hmm. I did that. And then my opponent charged them, um, I think, with... I think we're two units of four fulbinators. So they were just, they were just getting destroyed. All right. And I'm, I'm usually okay with that. So they got completely destroyed and uh, I'm removing the models and I'm sort of like going back towards my deployment zone and then past my deployment zone all the way into the back corner. And I removed the last model. I'm like, Oh shit! I got to place the fanatics. So I end up (laughs) up placing the ten fanatics like in the bottom left corner of my deployment zone. And uh, you know, like obviously, I can teleport them in later turns. But Mm. um, (laughs) other than that, they're just going to be loving the big, the big hammers across the battlefield because I've 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 left him in the corner. So um, yeah, fanatics are tricky to play with. Um, Yeah, it's interesting because I'm always playing them in the same list as hoppers, and, and hoppers are just as difficult to play with. But because I have the practice, like I, I feel super confident with the hoppers, but I'm just always stressing about the fanatics. The whole time I play, I'm just like, oh shit, when do I get them out? Because it's like at the start of your opponent's charge phase, you're just like, hold on, just let me just let me think for a second. And uh you say, oh, do you have any impact hits?
1: <laughs>
2: do you have yeah, do you have any impact hits? Do you have any two inch weapons? And you're just like going through the list trying to work out if you can get the fanatics out. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's tricky. Um they're really good, but yeah,
3: it's tricky to to use them properly, I think. There you go, anyone listening who plays Stu, his weakness is the Fanatics, so (laughs) try and use it against him. His
1: weakness is he's concentrating on the hoppers.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Stu, that's great. Um, We had a lot of messages in from lots of people about, um, not not I'm Too Excited ones this week, which are my favourites, but lots of people um, being trapped off board. So... Obviously, the, the, the beasts can now do this with all their units off the board, but people getting trapped so they can't bring stuff on because the opponent you're playing against uh, is um is able to cover pretty much the whole board and then you're completely buggered. Um, There's that famous, or I call it famous, was it the 40k tournament? The guy, the really famous kind of Warhammer picture, you can probably find it on the internet, of the guy... Uh, using his Tau scouts and blocking the whole border from one on turn one because the guy couldn't bring anything on, so just one. Yeah, time. I thought
1: it was. Yeah, there's,
4: there's a picture of of his opponent with the To and a rule book looking really pensive. <laughs> one looks really
1: pissed off, and the other looks really pleased with himself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
3: So now with all these kind of off board, especially beasts, don't don't leave all your stuff off. And if the opponent can cover the whole board, because you do literally just lose. Um, now, if
1: you've got a load of ungor Raiders, shoot them off and then come on. <laughs> well, that's true.
3: That is true. So, yeah, <laughs> lots of those. Um, and I, we did have one from Chris Welfare, which I don't think we've done, um, which was quite a nice one. So Chris said he was playing Sylvaneth into Bone Splitters with an Incarnate. And he said he had a great turn one. He dropped the Incarnate a level uh, using shooting and um, various spells, etc. And And uh, in his opponent's turn, he charged... Uh, his Tree Lord with the Incarnate, some big stabbers and boar boys. uh, And he said, unfortunately, uh, killing his Tree Lord, but not before the Tree Lord did enough damage to drop it a level again. So it went up a level because it killed a monster, but then down a level. So it was back to level one again. And so he says, here's where the misplay comes in. He was so tunnel vision, so focused on being able to kill the Incarnate because it was right up in his face uh, that he ignored the fact that he had boar boys and stabbers in front of him. And so he, he put all his effort into trying to kill this incarnate, which he didn't manage to do. And so the rest of the army just charged into him and tabled him there and then. And he says what he should have done is that the, he should have seen the Wurgorg prophet that the incarnate was bonded to was standing right in front of him, completely in the opium, with no lookout, sir, no ward save, and everything in range. And so what he could simply have done was just, just shot or killed the Wurgog, made the incarnate go wild because it was within three of the guy's own big stabbers and boar boys uh, due to fighting his tree lord that oh, just died. And, so, and <laughs> so actually the incarnate would have just charged his, his opponent's whole army and he wouldn't have had to do anything. So he says his advice is uh, don't tunnel vision lesson learned don't always try and kill the thing sometimes you can make it go wild and it does the job for you so there you go Boom. thank you very much chris and on that note thank you to all of you guys so um thank you Stu, for coming on that was fantastic and whenever i listen back to these i always get nuggets that i didn't hear so thank you very much for coming on and if you haven't done uh do go and check out um stew's youtubes or his twitter or try and play him on TTS because you'll get some fantastic uh, uh so yeah thanks stew thank you for coming on check, check guys, out hey,
1: our man. future cheers. youtubes uh, for onwards with stew as well
3: yep and yep. and the future onwards so yeah so thanks stew thank you very much yeah cheers
2: guys thanks
3: and uh darren owen pleasure as always um cheers love thanks for coming on speak to you both um, if you do have any questions for all of us um, we love to hear them so do send them into Darren or Owen or the Miscos Twitter feed and we'll try and get round to them um, so all that's left for me to say is thanks again for listening thanks for your feedback so be kind uh, look after each other and we'll catch you all next time so cheers bye bye